Let's, uh, let's continue tonight as we walk through the book of Philippians. Tonight, we're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Uh, this is what Paul says. He says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Powerful, powerful sentence. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and saved by God." Tonight, I want to unpack a little bit of Paul's uh, writing here in these uh, two verses. I want to talk to us firstly about the idea of Christian conduct and what it means to be able to be poised no matter what happens. And then secondly, what I want to do is spend the, the majority of our time talking about the enemies that we encounter through life and perhaps some ways that we can navigate those things really, really well as a part of our Christian conduct. So Paul opens by talking, I mean, this powerful statement, whatever happens. Now, you've got to understand contextually, Paul is talking to a church at Philippi um, that is in the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, there's persecution, not only you know, in, in pockets from the government, but you're talking about just, just local people. If the gospel has disturbed their business or you know, uh, converts have, have uh, switched over to Christianity from other religious practices or beliefs, um, it could disrupt marriages, families, all of these kind of things. And so Paul, understanding this, he says, listen, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, can, you know, in, in the context of where you live, in your family, the people that you love, whether it be related to your health, whether it be related to an attack, whether it be related to you being humiliated by people that are persecuting you, or maybe you get cheated out of a business deal, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a worthy manner of Christ Jesus. And that is a tall order. That is a tall order, especially in a culture that has so much disdain for Christianity and those who would choose to follow Christ. It's a very, very difficult thing. Nonetheless, it's what we are called to do and how we are called to live. And so regardless of what happens, what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, when, when difficulty arises from the outside coming in, when, when these things squeeze up against you, it's important that you be filled with the Spirit and that your response to whatever happens, that your response be filled with the fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, now, I know we, we preach and teach, and you know, this is a very common thing, um, people say oftentimes that Christianity is not behavior modification, okay? In other words, what they're trying to say is like, look, Jesus didn't come to make you a better person, okay? And in some ways, that's very, very true. We are not a works-based religion. We couldn't, we couldn't climb to heaven if we had every tool at our, our disposal. Jesus is the only way that we have access to heaven. However, the Spirit of God does come to change our behavior, and oftentimes, the way that begins is through the fruit of the Spirit. And so 
Is, it, is Christianity about behavior modification? Absolutely not in one way as it relates to salvation, but in another way as it relates to sanctification, it absolutely is about behavior modification. And so it's not behavior modification just on the exterior though. What God is after is filling us to the degree that all the junk comes out and we begin to attitudinally and by our actions be able to live in a way that, that honors the Lord. Um, it's the same idea as a Twinkie, you know? Uh, you take a Twinkie and you squeeze that sucker hard enough, what's inside of that Twinkie is gonna come out. And that's the same way that we are. As life and the pressures of life and the offenses of life, as they crash down on us, whatever it is that's inside of us is going to be what comes out of us. And as Christian believers, we're called to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so when persecution comes, when difficulty, when illness, when aches come, that when those things press us and squeeze up against us, we need to make sure that our reactions and our responses are those that honor Christ, as Paul would say, whatever happens. It's a difficult order, it's a difficult call, but yet it's what we're called to do. And so tonight... Um, as Paul is, is talking about Christian conduct, he is kind of framing this discussion as it relates to people who were enemies against them, the people he's writing to, to the church at Philippi. And so what I wanna do is I wanna take the rest of our time and I wanna to talk to us for a few minutes about the different types of enemies that we encounter in life as Christians. And then what I want to do is I want to talk to us about the most personal type of enemy and what the enemy, those enemies want to do to us. And so tonight as we look at the different types of enemies as it relates to Christians, number one in your notes is this, is that there are, those, there are some enemies that are enemies of the cross, okay? Later in the book of Philippians, Paul even says, he says, uh, many people live as enemies of the cross, Okay. In other words, uh, their desire is to pick apart Christianity, plant seeds of doubt within believers to prevent other people from coming to faith in Christ. Uh, we see, uh, you know, on a broad scale, a global scale, we see these famous atheists and people who are bent towards science and uh, their worldview is completely, um, it, it is removed from a supreme being of any kind, much less the Christian God. But it's fascinating to me that so many of these people spend their entire lives trying to destroy something they don't believe. It's fascinating to me that they will devote so much of their life to something that they believe is imagination or make-believe. The Richard Dawkins, the Chris, uh, 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 all, of these, all of these types of, of men that have literally become uh, so grand in the eyes of the world, ultimately at the end of all things, they are enemies of the cross. And that's incredibly harsh language to use, but it's the language that Paul would use. In our culture, we would like to say things like, well, these are people who are opposed to the cross. And that may be appropriate for some people, but for some people, they absolutely would even identify themselves as enemies of the cross. And so there, there are those that are enemies of the cross, which I think is more rare than it is common. But number two, you also have enemies that are enemies of the church. Okay, so maybe they're not enemies of Christianity. Maybe they, maybe they are Christians but they have pitted themselves against other people in the body of Christ, right? So right now we have this, this movement over the past 10 years or so 
uh, that, that we have labeled as uh, deconstructionists. And these are people that are basically, uh, the way that they would frame it is say, I'm deconstructing what I've always been taught so that I can build back together what I truly believe, okay? And I want to be fair and say this. I think all of us, if you've walked with the Lord for very many years, you've probably gone through some level of deconstructing what you've always been taught and going back to scripture to kind of understand things in a more clear way. So I want to be fair. I don't want to be um, dishonest with that whatsoever. But you have a whole nother sect of, of people who go through deconstruction, not for the purpose of reconstruction, but just to destroy that which is. Right? And, and they may, again, they may classify themselves as Christians. You've got politicians uh, that, that may even, again, classify themselves as Christians or whatever the case is. Um, but on different fronts, they're attacking the church from tax exemption or pro-life stances or whatever the case is. And in some ways, they have set themselves up as enemies against the church. Listen to me. Even oftentimes people who are Christians... And many of these people will still end up in heaven. They will be our brothers and sisters for eternity. But through their lens, they are trying to do something positive. But through the lens of scripture, they're doing something very, very destructive. It's the idea of people saying, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Okay. And for me as a Christian, whether or not I was ever a pastor or not, that's incredibly insulting. That is an incredibly insulting statement. Why? Because I am a part of the church. And what people who make those statements often don't realize is that they themselves are part of the church. It may not be an institutionalized church, but if they are Christians, they are part of, of the church. They're part of the body of Christ. And so the reality is this, is that yes, uh, is the bride of Christ fallen? Is she adulterous? Is she dirty? Does she cheat? Does she have skinned up knees from the many times that she's fallen? Absolutely. She is all those things, but she is still his bride and he takes incredible pride in who she is. And so you have people that will position themselves, whether or not they're, they're Christians or not Christians, sometimes they will position themselves against the institutionalized church. And um, we need to be aware that those people are out there. But thirdly, and the one I really want to focus the rest of our time on is that there are those people that are enemies of the Christian. So you've got some that are just anti-Christianity, and then you've got some that aren't anti-Christianity, but they're anti-the church. And then you've got some that may be anti or may not be anti these two things, but they are definitely anti-you, okay? And we have to remember that, that there are people that will oftentimes pit themselves against us, whether they are Christians or whether they are not Christians. We see it in scripture, believers and non-believers, making enemies with other believers. Sometimes reasons are valid. I think, I think that there is a time to, to uh, kind of draw a line in the sand, even if somebody is going to heaven with you, right? There's a time to draw a line in the sand and say, we're just going to agree not to we're going to agree to disagree. We're going to have to step away from this relationship. But the vast majority of times, the, you know, there's, there's, there are very few reasons ever to view a brother or sister in Christ as an enemy. Okay? And so we, we need to be really careful with that. Not only as it comes to us as people or, you know, that we would perceive as enemies come to us, 
but we must be careful not ourselves to become enemies against other people, okay? So as we talk about those who are enemies against us as a Christian, out of all the different layers of, of enemies that we just talked about, of the church, of the cross, of the Christian, those who are enemies of the individual Christian, this is far more personal and far more hurtful than the other two. And the reason is, is because they're not attacking an institution. They're not attacking a belief system. They're attacking you as an individual. They're attacking you as a person. But the way that people um, become enemies, sometimes it's layered. Sometimes um, people aren't always, when they oppose you, it's not that they always are just out for your destruction, right? And if we have that mindset, that's probably not a really healthy mindset. Sometimes in your notes, people just want to disagree with you, okay? This is what I would call friendly fire. This is uh, a group of people who disagree with you. They may be believers in Christ, but they disagree with you over doctrine or how you, you know, uh, if your church has a certain philosophy of ministry, they may disagree with you about these things. This is what we find with, with Paul and Barnabas. You remember, they're going out to set on a missionary journey. They have a difference of philosophical approach to this, and they end up parting ways. Now, I wouldn't say that they became enemies, but in that moment, they were definitely opposed to each other in that. Um, this is what I would call friendly fire. This is the idea that both of these men are, are love Jesus. They, they want the purposes of God fulfilled. They're going to heaven, but they have such a sharp disagreement that it's difficult for them to walk arm in arm as they carry out their mission, right? We saw this all over the place with the pandemic. We saw this all over the place. Um, I remember one time I was reading about a church out in California, and it was an incredibly large church. And at a certain point in the pandemic, they said, you know what? We don't care what the law says. We, we are going to open our church, and we are gonna, you know, we're going we're gonna to operate as we've always operated. And they, had, they handled it the right way. I mean, they, they really did. They, did the, they honored the authorities. They wrote letters. They, they had meetings, all this kind of stuff. They really tried to exhaust every avenue. But then you had a church in the same city who looked at that church and they said, that is so dishonorable to those who God has put in authority over us. We're not going to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to take our church and we're going to disperse it throughout the city. And instead of meeting in one building, which is forbidden at that point, what we're going to do is we're going to meet in a thousand different homes all across the city and we're going to conduct church there. Well, which of them were right? Well, it could be argued that both were right. It could be argued that this was just simply friendly fire or a difference of opinion or a difference of approach or philosophy, but you would be amazed at how many in the body of Christ made this an enemy situation instead of a simple disagreement. And man, how easily we fall into those traps when people don't believe exactly the things that we believe that are not crucial to the Christian faith. You realize that there are only a handful of things that are absolutely critical and, and crucial to the Christian faith that need to be fought for, you know, with full veracity. But there are so many peripheral things that, that yeah, I, I could see it this way. I could see it that way. I could see it that way, but I totally disagree. But we make wars out of these things 
instead of just safeguarding these few very important things, is what I call friendly fire. You saw this over the past couple of weeks with uh, the events that are happening at uh, Asbury University. Um, you, you know, if, if you're on socials or anything like that, you know, there were people that were contending. They were like, um, you know, well, they're calling it the, the Asbury revival, but that's not the technical definition of a revival. It's a renewal. And other people say it's not a renewal. It's an awakening. And people say it's not an awakening. It's not a revival. It's not a renewal. It's, it's not even of God. And so you just saw all these different perspectives. And it was this, this moment where you just look out and you say, man, listen, regardless of how you feel about this, God is, is doing something, right? And regardless of how we define it and all these kind of things, let's just agree to disagree on certain things without making war out of it and without making issues out of it. And so, you know, we just got to be careful uh, when we're dealing with people that we don't unnecessarily make people enemies, even if they are trying to make themselves enemies against us, because ultimately some people just disagree and we need to be okay with that. Number two in your notes, other people want to dismantle you, okay? We see this with Paul as he contends with the Jews. They do not embrace Paul's teaching. They reject it. And basically what they are trying to do is they're trying to disprove your worldview, okay? So these are people that I would consider in the camp of the irreligious, they have, they have no faith, or even those of other religions that have you know, faith, but you know, perhaps it's in a certain realm, and they believe that Christianity is far too exclusive, and so in an effort to disprove you, they, they exclude you, okay? Uh, it's kind of ironic there. But the point of what I'm trying to say is this, is that Peter reminds us when we run into people that want to make us an enemy because they disagree and they disprove of our worldview, Paul, Peter reminds us of this. He says, when you run into situations like this, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. In other words, when, when people contend with you and they disagree with you about your faith as a Christian, be ready to provide an answer for them. You know, um, you know, I was raised in a culture that said, well, the Bible says it and I believe it, right? And that's kind of a reason, but that's not a reason that's going to make any sense to a person who hasn't been born again. And so there, there needs to be um, this, this attitude that says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be able to be intelligent enough about my faith to be able to share it. But listen to what Paul says is the most important. He says, but when you answer them, do this with gentleness and respect. So in other words, Paul's not just talking about intellect, which I believe that you, Paul is saying this, you, or Peter is saying this, you need to be intellectual about your faith. You need to understand why you believe the resurrection is a thing, okay? You need to be intellectual, but it's also about your disposition. It's also about your attitude as you respond to these people that you're not hostile, that you're not demeaning, that you're not talking down to them, but you're openly loving because they simply just want to dismantle all these things. And what you're trying to do is just say, listen, um, you're not going to be able to dismantle me, but let me share with you from a gentle spirit why I believe the things that I believe. So it was about intellect, but it's also about attitude from these people that just want to dismantle you. But then we run into the people that absolutely want to destroy you. Now, sometimes this is because of your Christian faith, but sometimes it's just because 
they don't know how to do family well, or maybe they don't know how to do friendship well. It could be a thousand different reasons, but there are times where we run into people and they just simply want to destroy us. We find this with Paul as he is contending with Alexander the coppersmith. He says that Alexander did him wrong. It it appears that Alexander undermined him. He may have cheated him. And he uh, planted seeds of doubt against Paul's gospel. And these are the type of people, the group of people that want to destroy not only your reputation, but they want to destroy your person. They, they, you know, like there is a, a vileness, right? And again, I think this is a very, very rare, hopefully, okay, this should be a very, very real, rare instance in your life where you have people that just want to destroy you. But the reality is sometimes those people come around. And so what we as Christian believers have to do is we have to understand how do we deal with these people when they do come and they show up on our doorstep. And so Paul writes this to the Romans in chapter 12. I'm going to read a pretty significant paragraph here, but it's all about how we deal with those who make themselves enemies against us. This is what Paul says. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, listen to this, as far as it depends on you. Paul is saying, listen, if, it, if, if you have any say in this whatsoever, as much as can rest on your shoulders, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but listen to this, but overcome evil with good. So it's important for us to understand that there will be times where there will be people that absolutely want to eviscerate us as it relates to the Christian faith, right? But there will also be times where people want to destroy us just because of who we are. And it may not have very much to do with the Christian faith. But oftentimes, I would even say a majority of times, people that come after other people to that degree are oftentimes possessed with this mentality that what they are doing and what they believe and the actions that they are taking are righteous actions. And if they have to go to the mat and be a martyr or they are willing to do that because they believe that what they're doing, they believe that being your enemy is the right and righteous thing to do. And so sometimes we just, now that's more rare, but, but sometimes we have to understand that, that people become our enemies because they feel like it's the right thing, but oftentimes there, there's delusion or confusion as it relates to that. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> How do we deal with our enemies? Number one in your notes. As we run into people that are choosing to become an enemy against us, number one, Christians should handle conflict with an attitude of honor. Okay? Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Now, that last little part there, he's saying you need to bless your enemies. You need to love them who persecute you. But then he tacks on this strange little caveat and he says this, that you may be children of your father in heaven. What's he saying there? What he's saying is that as you become more and more like Christ, the DNA, the spiritual DNA of who you are is being made more and more into the image of Christ. And just as Christ loved his enemies, that is going to flesh out of you and you're going to begin to love your enemies. Just as Christ said, Father, forgive them for they don't know not what they do. That same type of disposition and attitude is going to begin to flow. Uh, you know, my, my children, uh, my many children, I have, I have one that um, is more like me in some ways than, than my other children. And uh, I have this one thing that I, that I hate about myself. I slouch. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen me walking, but I, I look like, I don't, a, a Oompa Loompa or something like that. But when I'm walking, I have this slouch, and my poor child inherited that from me, right? Now, I see it as a negative, but when I really take a step back in perspective, I'm like, oh, they walk like me because they are like me. Does that make sense? And I think from a spiritual perspective, when we begin to bless those who want to curse us, and we begin to love those who come against us, we are becoming more and more like Christ. We're becoming more and more like our father and we are becoming more and more like his children. And so we need to be sure that when we handle conflict, that we do so with an, adder, with an attitude of honor and a disposition of humility. Number two, Christians should work towards reconciliation. Okay, Matthew 18 is incredibly clear with this. Um, Jesus talks about the process that we should go to when there is a fence between two people. Um, I just want to say a couple of quick things as reminders. Uh, number one, it, it's such an important reminder that, that we recall that, that when we have confrontations, it has got to be about reconciliation, not retaliation. I don't go into a conflict with the idea that I am going to dismantle them or I'm going to destroy them. I need to go into a conflict where I've humbled myself and I'm looking for reconciliation. How can we work this out? Is there a way to work this out? Because the other thing I want to remind you of is this, is that sometimes reconciliation is not possible and sometimes reconciliation is not appropriate, right? If, if you have conflict with somebody, if somebody has made an enemy out of you because of something they've done or said or whatever the case is, um, there are certain times where uh, you can forgive, but reconciliation is not a part of that forgiveness. If a person, God forbid, ever molested my child, I may be able to forgive them, but, but there's boundaries now. I'm not letting you back into my life. I'm not trying to reconcile. I'm not trying to be friends. I'm not trying to have dinner, right? Um, but I will forgive you in Christ but that line has been drawn. So, so though we work towards reconciliation, I think that's the ideal, that's the goal. Sometimes reconciliation is not appropriate, but forgiveness is always appropriate, okay? So we're working towards that coming back together. Number three in your notes, Christians should also establish appropriate boundaries, okay? Um, I think that 
there are times, as I, as I just mentioned, I think there are times, especially as someone has positioned themselves against you as an enemy, that, that you definitely have every right in the world to say, listen, I'm here and I have an olive branch if you ever want to partake of, of a peace offering. But if you're going to put yourself as an enemy, I'm going to keep you out here. I'm going to keep you away from myself, away from my family, away from all this kind of stuff. But I'm doing so not with a, an attitude of bitterness, but I'm doing so in order to protect what God has given me stewardship over. And so sometimes I need to, I need to set those boundaries. Um, I was reading a, uh, a study that was done um, by NASA in the last 10 years. I think it was 2013. And this study was about lightning strikes across the world. And the study was talking about how there are certain areas in the world that they, they have, con it's concentrated when you see, I wish I would have brought the photo, but when you see the, the global map, that there are areas that are concentrated and just have lightning strikes like crazy, they're highlighted, but then other areas where you hardly see any blip on the radar. It's really, it's really a fascinating thing. And the article goes on, uh, uh, the research goes on to, to report that that there's so much about the land masses and the surroundings that dictate if a thunderstorm is going to evolve and if lightning is going to come about. It, it talks about the contours of the land, the slopes of the land, rivers, uh, hills and valleys and, and temperatures, winds, all of these kind of things. And the reality is this, at the end of the article is basically saying this, is saying there are certain places in the world that have more storms and more lightning strikes because of their surroundings. That's the essence of the entire research project, right? And can I tell you this? I've met so many people that have so much drama in their lives. And they have so many people that they feel like hate them. But do you know what the reality is? Is that they have allowed their environment, their surroundings to be disrupted by a certain type of people that they should have put at arm's length, but because they've welcomed them in, there's lightning strikes all over the place. They're always going through drama. There's always issues with other people in conflict. And so I'm just saying this is that there may be times where we need to put boundaries with, with certain people in our lives. We can love them. We can bless them, uh, all of that stuff. But if they have made themselves enemies or if they're constantly trying to pick fights and, you know, stir drama, there are people that I'm just going to put at arm's length. And, and I don't think that's unbiblical at all. Jesus, oftentimes, he would have conflict with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. But then what would he do? He would draw away and he would go pray with the Father, right? He was putting boundaries up. He was saying, I'll let you come this far, but any further and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to move, right? And so I don't think it's unchristian to do that. We've just got to make sure that we do it with the right attitude and not out of a place of bitterness, okay? And then finally, number four is this, is that Christians, as we deal with people that we would consider enemies, Christians should trust the Lord to vindicate them. You remember when Jacob is sent off to another land because he's afraid that Esau is coming after his life. And he goes and he begins to work for a man by the name of Laban, okay? And Jacob works for years for this man, Laban. I mean, a couple of decades for this man. And all throughout this time, Laban has been changing, you know, the, the dynamics of the working relationship. And he's been changing the negotiation and the agreement, the contractual agreement. He's kind of shifted. And basically, he is cheating Jacob out of what Jacob deserves. 
And so Jacob, for the most part, he remains humble and he kind of walks through this process. But near the end of the relationship between Jacob and, and Laban, because Jacob married Laban's two daughters, at the end of their relationship, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord showed up to Jacob and he starts giving him all of these instructions. But this is one powerful thing that the Lord says to Jacob. He says, I have seen how Laban has treated you. I have seen him cheat you. I've seen him mistreat you. And I am going to bring vindication to you in such a way that no man could understand outside of the hand of God. And so I just wanna, I wanna remind us of this. And this is a hard truth. This is a hard truth for any and all of us. That when we go through situations where we feel like we have been robbed, there's a bad business deal, or you know, we feel like um, somebody, well, they said that they were a Christian and you know, this was the agreement and they violated that and I feel like I got gypped or whatever the case is. When we go through misunderstandings, irreconcilable differences, physical offense or verbal offense or whatever the case is, when we feel like we have been done wrong, we always have to come to a place where we say, Father, this is not for me to vindicate myself, but this is for you to vindicate. And the Bible says that God will bring his vindication to those who have been done wrong. It's like pastor always says, and it's so true, but it's so frustrating. He always says, I would rather be done wrong than do wrong. And that's the heart of the Christian believer as we deal with our enemies. Reality is this, Jesus said, listen, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have tribulations. There will be those, Paul said, those who wish to live a godly life in Christ, they will face persecution in different ways. What he's saying is this, there are gonna be enemies throughout your life. And as we mature in our relationship with Christ, we've got to learn to navigate those enemies in a way that's different than we would have when we were younger in the Lord. We've got to be able to handle people with poise, with maturity, with tenderness, with love, and also boundaries at times. But we've got to learn to do it for their good and for our good. Amen? Amen.